On this episode of Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast, we look back at the Washington State game, look ahead to Stanford, catch up with a couple of the Utes, and stick around to the end and find out how Bill Riley, the voice of the Utes, got into play-by-play. This and more on Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. I'm Dirk Facer, beat writer for the paper, joined today by Amy Donaldson and Trent Wood. He's a man now. He's not a millennial. So, he's getting there. But uh, how are you guys doing? <laughs> what? I'm doing good. <laughs> well, let's jump right into this thing. What did you think of the Washington State game? I mean, there were positives across the board. I know that Ute fans are really depressed that they lost again, but I thought that was the best Utah looked all year so far. Yeah, the running game, they came out and obviously established that. Uh, I mean, does it surprise you that they're still not really cohesive on offense as far as being able to run and throw the ball well I think well in the I, same game? I think I have the same question that some fans do because I had to watch it from afar. As you know, I wasn't at the game. But why why are you going away from the run game for long stretches, right? Why if, – if Zach Moss is working for you – why would I mean he had thirty carries in the game, so that's not insignificant, but right. there were long stretches in the second half where he didn't and I didn't I don't know if that's what the defense wasn't giving them or you know, those are questions that I think fans have as well. Because I really think if you can run if Utah can run the ball, they they can do other things. And I think everybody's tired of can you finish, right? You can do everything great, but if you if remember last year they would move the ball really well the mid sixty yards, you know, the right. the middle sixty yards of the field. But when it came to the red zone, it was like everything and anything that worked in the center of the field suddenly didn't work. And I don't know exactly why that continues to break down. Um, it's, I think that's one of the frustrating things is why can't you finish against? I think everyone could take a loss to Washington. I think Washington State is not the, a loss that people expected. Yeah, you know, every time you go to Pullman, obviously, it, you never know what's going to go on up there. But it was nice to see Tyler Huntley be Tyler Huntley a little yeah. bit and run the ball. And I think that, what do you guys think? I mean, that was, I thought he actually ran the ball better than Zach Moss, but you got to remember the defense was keying on Zach Moss, so it opened some things up. But Tyler Huntley had a great game rushing. For sure, but to go along with that, the defense keyed on hit on Tyler Huntley in the second half, which is kind of mm-hmm. why the running game died, is because he couldn't do any more of those runs that he had in the first half that was opening up the field for Moss. I mean, it seems like if they shut down something, something else is open, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it just, just it just that's the frustrating thing as a, an observer and as a non-football expert. You know why why can't you do something different then? It seems other teams can. I think we actually saw it too. Even on the final drive, they had mm-hmm. a couple completions that were really well done, really big completions that were just called back by penalties. So the penalties were that's the thing I that stuck out to me was just just ridiculous. You know, and and I know there's some debate about whether or not they should have been called. They get called. So whatever you're doing, stop doing it yeah. and do something different. Right. Well, I had a chance to talk to Britton Covey this week, and he said the one thing the team needs to do offensively is be more disciplined, and that obviously equates to the penalties, and they need mm-hmm. to do better on that. Um, any other areas of concern you guys see? Other than, I mean, if you look at the offensive stats for the Utes this year, it's really interesting because Britton Covey has 27 catches, and I think Samson Nakua has 11, and nobody else has double figures. I mean – that's quite a gap, and that's – I mean, they're not getting a lot of help. Well, I think they're spreading the ball. You could argue they're spreading the ball around because you have 
instead of three or four guys catching the ball, you have seven or eight guys catching the ball, which is fine. To me, it's much more what kind of yardage are they getting? How are they getting those yards? Where is it coming in the game? Um, because there's a lot of times those are great catches, and then they can't, they can't score, and they yeah. settle. Well, and obviously drop passes early on in the season have been a big issue, and Josh Furlong at com did a nice job of breaking it down. He watched <laughs> watched the games and slowly probably – He has too much time there. on his hands. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he did a nice job breaking it down in that. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to, you know, as we watch it practice, you know, the guys are catching tennis balls out of the tennis machine as, in addition to the jugs machine with the footballs. And I asked uh, Freddie Whittingham about that, and he said that was something they picked up from the Kansas City Chiefs. He was at a mini camp, and he saw that the Chiefs uh, receivers and that were catching tennis balls after games, and he mm-hmm. said they're coming out. I think he said between fifty and sixty miles an hour coming right at him, and these guys are snagging him with one hand. And he said it helps with the you know the hand-eye coordination and that. And then uh, Britton Covey thinks it's uh, also another benefit too that it's helped the receivers with that. But uh, it's amazing what they go to tennis balls at the football <laughs> field. Well, I, I thought I think that's an interesting drill. We've seen it now, and we've seen some people get hit unwittingly. You may not be hit, but, but I think um, I just think it's different. It's sort of like running basketball drills without a defense, right? And and so you feel really good about things, and things are moving really smoothly. You watch some of these drills, and they look great. And then when somebody's trying to take the ball away from you, or they're hanging on you, or they're foul, you know, they're fat, they're not playing, you know, hanging on you, pulling your jersey, whatever, get, they're getting away with, you you have to make that catch. And that's what I don't know that you can simulate. Yeah, Trent, did you see a, an improvement in the catching uh, in the Washington State game? I thought for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. you saw, I think it was eight different players caught the ball. They weren't just targeted, but they actually caught the ball. I mean, Damari Simpkins actually had two catches, and he's been non-existent all season. Like, the receivers definitely played better. I don't think there was a single drop. I know Britton Covey had a couple balls smacked out of his hand as he caught it, but I don't think there was a drop against Washington State. So clearly that's an improvement. And, and who knows if the tennis balls have something to do with it. That you introduced that in training camp. So they were doing it when they were dropping balls earlier. But uh, obviously anything helps. But there are always drops. And I yeah. think we've had, we've had this discussion for like years, it feels like to me. Because there's, there's always going to be drops. And then you have to pick yourself up. And to me that's a mental, as much a mental thing as it is, catching uh, a tennis ball. Well, guys, if you look at the big picture now, they've got the Stanford game and as we – Mentioned, I think Utah's really only one game off the pace. You know, a lot of people assumed the Washington State game would be a victory, but if they can grab the Stanford game, are they kind of back where they're supposed to be? Well, I think maybe they, for sure, they would redeem themselves because Stanford's ranked. You know, but I, but I think, uh, does it make up for losing to Washington State in the minds of and hearts of fans? No, don't lose to Washington State. I mean, <laughs> you're going to be nicer. Well, they do lose to Washington State. Though. I know. It's I not know. like that's not a regular thing. They lose to them, and they are very competitive against Stanford. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. the matchup is just so much better for them against Stanford than it is against Washington State. Yeah, you know, the Utes have had a really good history. They're undefeated, actually, on the farm. They've never lost a game at Stanford. You know, I was reflecting, uh, being an old guy, uh, remembered back in, uh, I think it was in 1989 when they had the um, earthquake. Uh, the screwed up the World Series. Utah played mm-hmm. Stanford there, and uh, Lauren Jorgensen, who works here at the paper, and I, and Photog, and a few other guys drove to Stanford to the game, and it was played. In, this is before Stanford reduced their stadium, so it was a huge stadium right after the earthquake. 
Nobody was really there. There were aftershocks during the game. I remember that. And it's hard to believe that was, you know. That long ago? That long ago. <laughs> but uh, You are that old. That was one of Utah's victories. See, I think Trent left. was in fifth grade that year. I mean, what year was it? I might not have been alive. Let's not, let's not even go there. It just made me feel old. I may have to bring the millennial word out. I don't okay, want to. Well, he wasn't potty trained during that game. <laughs> and that's, that's good. Let's move on. Um, what do you guys think uh, is going to happen this Saturday? Because obviously it's, it's a switching of gears because you're going from a pass-happy Washington State team to a Stanford team that prefers the ground game, but they've also got some receivers. Uh, Jen, do you, what do you think? I mean, Bryce Love is questionable, mm-hmm. but we know Stanford loves to run the ball, and I think Utah is pumped to be able to play against the run again. I talked to a couple of defensive linemen, John Penasini and Lecky Fotu, and they just talked about how great it is to be able to go back to that style of football where they can defend against the run. Um, I wanted to talk to you just about the difference that Lecky made when he came into the game. Did you notice a difference on the defensive front? Uh, yeah, the rotation was, was back to normal. I felt like uh, we had four. Well, we were all fresh, okay. so I felt like it helped us more, even more with the three rota- three man rotation to yeah. chase a four man rotation. How different was it? I know you guys rushed a punch of three in the first half, and then you switched to four. Was that in part because he was available, or was that just something the coaches decided to change? Uh, something the coaches decided to change. Uh, we were planning on it the whole game, but I mean, they they started running it more when Lucky came in, so. So against a team like Washington State as an interior lineman, I mean, usually you're there to stop the run. They don't run the ball. What's your mindset in there? I mean, is it just going for the quarterback the entire time? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, our game plan was to rush the QB. And, uh, I feel like we did, a, we did a good job doing it. Does that get exhausting or tiring to know that you're just pushing and pushing and pushing the entire time? Uh, yeah, but you know, we just kept, kept fighting. That's why we kept uh, cheering up each other, keep fighting and keep pushing. We'll, we'll get to the quarterback. What is the uh, obviously you guys had to prepare a lot for that game because they're so different offensively. Is there a, a difficult adjustment trying to go back to a team like Stanford that you know is going to run the ball a ton, or is it just more like this is what we know how to do? It's not that hard to adjust. Back? Uh, I mean, it's just going to go back to our game plan, uh, our normal four four down front. I, I feel like we come uh, comfortable and confident in what we're doing. Uh, do you feel like the I thought you can correct me if I'm wrong you guys up front got better as the game went on against Washington State the beginning of the game you weren't getting as much pressure it went on you guys definitely controlled it more did you guys feel that or no uh no I, I mean I thought we were getting pressure the whole game but uh like I said, we, our mindset was to just keep fighting, keep grinding. That's what Coach A told us, so we just kept fighting, kept grinding to the quarterback. I mean, it was good to hear John say just, I mean, they were excited to be able to play against the run, and Leckie echoed that fact. He missed the first half of the Washington State game, but he's excited to be able to play against a running team. Was it weird not being able to start the game and not being able to get into a rhythm? Uh, yeah, it was weird uh, just sitting out uh, first half knowing that uh, our brother was going to go out there and play. Uh, super weird just sitting there uh, not knowing how they were doing uh, they just came back halftime and, you know, they, they told me everything that I needed to know uh, the adjustments from the, from the O-line yeah. uh, calls, whatever but uh, yeah it, it's, uh, this experience is uh, very new for me uh, I, I never had to uh, set out a half ever but uh, yeah coming in uh, uh, I, I was pretty fresh uh, and uh, I was looking uh, in any way uh, to help out 
and try to you know, help the team out there to get a W. Going against a team like Washington State, obviously they throw the ball the entire game. As an interior lineman, your guys are more about the run most of the time. How much of an adjustment was that for you? Um, for me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd say um, from last year uh, playing against them, uh, that was uh, pretty new to me. Uh, I'm not used to like uh, pass rushing every you know every single play, but uh, it, it's definitely uh, been a helpful uh, tool for for all of us too to to get our our, our pass rush in, uh, especially for like games like the next game. You know, they're known for powerhouse running. By the same time, uh, they they throw too, but with the the, the bye week and uh, Washington State week, we focus more on pass rushing. So uh, I, I think there was a, a good and bad to that. Okay. Is it a hard adjustment to go from pass rushing every single down to this week where you're going against Stanford, who love to run the ball, but they also have a good quarterback? Or is that something that you guys just this is back to the football and you know? Yeah, uh, we, we we talked about uh, about that in our meetings. Uh, I think it's. It's good that that now we're going back, you know, to, to how we are uh, originally play. You know, just just straight up hard nose football. Um, just just getting ready for the run game. But, yeah. All right, that's all I need. And I know I know defense. Fans aren't worried about the defense, especially against a team like Stanford. But the defense is excited to be able to play against that team, and they think they're going to do better. Yeah, what are some things you think the Utes could exploit uh, offensively and defensively? I had a chance. I got a phone call this morning. Uh, from the San Francisco Chronicle beat writer for Stanford, and he told me that their offensive line is terrible, and that <laughs> he thinks that's a, a area that Utah can exploit, especially you know with Bradley and I and and Lecky and the guys. Um, what do you guys think? Do you think that's a good matchup for you for the Utes? I mean, the defensive front has looked good, and they've gotten better and better as the year goes on. I think it is funny. I think everybody thinks their offensive line is the worst in college football. I think right. everybody thinks that's the case. <laughs> but I mean, Utah's defensive line has been solid. Well, and I think if you put Utah's defensive line against most offensive lines, even in the Pac-12, they would do well. Yeah, they, right. those are. They match I mean, up well. I I think they're especially those three guys you talk to. Uh, oh, really, really scary guys. Oh, they're they're massive humans. Lucky yeah. is a terrifying. But they're talented. Human. They're yeah. agile. They're fast. They're. I mean, they're they get in. They they take pride in messing some plays up and taking some guys down. So, yeah. I think I think. Whether or not their line is terrible, I don't know that I necessarily buy that. <laughs> but I, um, but but in what ways are they? Do well, they have he, an advantage? He was kind of going into the fact that Notre Dame just kind of mowed over them at the end of the game mm-hmm. last week, and obviously Notre Dame has some NFL caliber guys, but I sure. think Utah's defensive line has NFL caliber guys too. Oh, I, so. Yeah, I think all three of those guys are potential NFL guys. So if that's an area to take advantage of, obviously if Bryce Love doesn't play, that's another area. I know they've got good backups in that, but it's not Bryce Love. And if he's Definitely. if he's not playing, that should be an area Utah. Well, and if, even if he is playing, this is the second time he's been hurt this year. Right. So you know how 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 much can they ride him? How much can they rely on him? And you know, as Utah learned last year, he just needs one play to break through, and it's. But I think know, he's on, got that type on the of flip ability. side, Dirk, the secondary is what got exposed at Washington State. Right. And if your linebackers and your and your defensive front are doing well against Stanford, I think Stanford's has they have the ability to throw and then you might see new challenges to the same right. guys who you know maybe you had point. some issues with last week. It's a great point because obviously they do have some receivers, they have some big guys there yeah. too and they're going to win those uh, 50-50 ball matchups just because of their size. 
That'll be interesting. What about, let's jump around one more time, jump back to Utah's offense. Can they get it on track? Do they need to be able to run and throw the ball to beat Stanford? And, and then the big question is, how many points do they need to put up to win? Can they win with seven? Uh, seven? Oh, no, it's Utah by five, right? So it's Utah 12 by five. To seven. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, last week Kyle Whittingham talked about maybe need to get thirty points. I don't know if you need thirty points to beat Stanford, but you probably no. need twenty four, twenty one, somewhere in that neck of the woods. What do you guys think? I mean, we can. We've talked about the offense. Everybody's talked about the offense. I don't know if we can sit here and say they need this many points to beat Stanford. And I don't know if they even need to rely on the offense. Their defense is so good. If their special team con- continues to get better, they might not need a ton from the offense. They might just need ball possession and an occasional touchdown. And not and not getting penalties. Yeah. When they do something good. <laughs> is this a must win? If as far as their Pac-12 South title hopes are on the line, do you think that they have to win this game? Yes. Deal? Trent doesn't feel as strongly as I do. The Pac-12 South is so bad. <laughs> and so I think they still have a chance, even if they lose all the games against the North teams, but it's a very slim chance. Well, and it's interesting how the schedule came out, obviously, with all these games against the North to start things out. But an 0-3 hole, I don't care who you are, that's a tough one yeah. to dig out of. I just think, I think that, w- that what happens when you lose is, is uh, a fraying of the chemistry. And I think that's and maybe and some people are galvanized by losing and and they can rally back. I don't know. I you know that that is not what I see happening. So I don't know. We'll see. Thanks, guys. All right, we're joined now by Deseret News sports columnist Brad Rock. Uh, Brad has the distinction of being on our lost episode. This is our <laughs> sixth episode, but one never got published. And guess who our special guest star was that day? It was Brad Rock. Good to have you back. Thank you. I'm hoping this one goes out over the air. Uh, but I've had my practice run. As I was talking to Kent, uh, our boss, someday somebody's going to find the lost episode in their attic and play it and make a lot of money, and, <laughs> and you were the man. Okay. Uh, I'm good with that. Well, Brad, you wrote a column this week about Kyle Whittingham and his future and uh, the way things are going. Uh, you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I got looking at Kyle's record, and, uh, you know, in a Pac-12 He's lost eight of his last game, uh, 10 games in the Pac-12. He's lost 11 of the last 16. The column wasn't a call to fire him. I think that would be kind of silly. He could win nine straight games and, uh, you know, it ends up a great, a great year. But it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a subject at the end of the season if he has a losing season. Uh, he's, what is he, 20, 27, 38, I think, all time in the Pac-12. So I think, Dirk, they have to decide what, is he has gone as far as he's going to take this program, or is is there more that he can do? That's interesting. Trent, do you think the Utes have plateaued? I mean, I think there's a uh, there's an assumption that they can get higher, and I don't know if that is realistic. College football is driven by money and recruiting and great coaching, and Utah doesn't have access to all three of those things. And so we really don't know how much further or better the Utes can get. I mean, they could if they get a phenomenal coach, if they fired him and got somebody – once of a lifetime coach, they could get better. But I don't know how realistic it is to expect that they'd get that much better. What do you think, Brad? Well, I, I did have a friend as a columnist in, in Tucson, and he's covered Arizona since they were entered into the old Pac-8 and then the Pac-10. And I remember when Utah got in, and he says, Hey, Brad, this, they have never been to the Rose Bowl. He said, this, this is a long thing. This is going to be harder than people up there think it's going to be. Uh, so I think... Uh, 
you know, on a year like this, the thing that's concerning, I think, for Kyle is this is a year they they could win the saddle. They right. could have won the saddle. I don't think it's going to happen now. Uh, but th- they have to jump on those, and there's been a couple of them. And they and if they don't do that, the rest of the year's USC uh, dominates that thing or someone else. Is this a, a big deal simply because Utah is the only team to never win an outright South Division championship? Well, I think that comes up as part of the argument. I mean, their athletic director, as I had in the column, I mean, he said our, our goal, our objective is win championships, and we're going to do that. But but that hasn't happened. This is their eighth year in a league, and and uh, you know I don't know how many years he would have to do that. At the same time, you know CBS rates him the twenty fifth best coach in the country. It's an interesting paradox because I think he's a really good coach. I think the question we have to all wonder about is: Is this? Do they just? Are they going to need a change? And I I'm not even going to visit that unless he has a losing season. Then I'm going to wonder about it. Well, and you know let's look at the big picture here too, guys. Are they really that far off the pace right now? I mean, there may be one game off of where people expected him to be at this point, and is this becoming a a panic button issue when maybe it's a little early? I mean, people just had really high expectations for this team. I think they ignored it. They're still kind of young, and Utah develops talent, but it takes years to develop talent. And it just everybody thought that they could contend this year because the division is down. But this just might not be the year that Utah is as good as they can be. And they're, I mean, they're still two and two. They still can win every South game. The South is not a good division. It's probably the worst in Power Five football. So it's not like they're that far off from what they wanted to do. What do you think, Brad? Well, they are one game off the pace, but you know, there's twice that they finished one game off, off the pace and didn't get to the Pac-12 championship game. I think that's the killer. Is yeah, they're not far off, but. They're, they've had those chances, didn't get it. And they, and Witt will tell you that. He'll say, we're, we've lost a lot of close games, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't know how long the fan base, how long the boosters are going to say, we're, we're okay with being competitive because they are. They're competitive, but I, I don't know what the expectation is. Well, be a wait and see mode. But if you want to check out Brad's column, go to DeseretNews.com. And anything else, Brad, you want to say? We're going to Stanford this weekend to cover the game. Uh, I'm putting you in charge of the food. Uh, As always. <laughs> so I'll trust you, Dirk. I know we don't want anything spicy. You... Absolutely. <laughs> We're old guys. So, Brad, thanks again for joining us. It was great to have the Rock Monster with us. Now we're going to jump into our Pac-12 South predictions, our weekly prognostications. Guys, there's four games this week. Let's jump right in. Arizona State at Colorado, obviously, Two South teams going at it. The Utes could use uh, a little help, and they'll get a help because somebody's going to get a loss. Why are we ignoring the picks from last week to see who did best? I wasn't keeping track because okay. I kind of feared that maybe you did well. I don't actually know, but I assume I did. So yeah, uh, somebody figures that the out. Confidence of that millennial, in, uh, right? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As young ones, they have all that confidence. <laughs> Wait till I Old you guys, down. we move on. Yeah. Okay. And Amy, I don't know. You're kind of in the middle, so. No, I'm with you. All right. I'm old. I do know what a Stairmaster is, though. (laughs) Uh, I say, I mean, I think Colorado is going to win. And I've been pleasantly surprised by Colorado. I did not expect the season that they've had so far. Now, their their opponents have a combined record of what? They have one win combined. One in 16? Yeah. Yeah. But you're thinking the Buffs are for real. Yeah, I think they'll beat Arizona State. That's going to be an intriguing matchup, really, because we don't know much about Arizona State if they're for real, and they obviously have some talented skill players. Um, I think I'm going to go with ASU to pull the surprise because I just don't like the combined record of the teams Colorado's beaten. I don't blame them. Good scheduling. 
good way to be 4-0. <laughs> no, it's true. I have to go with ASU as well just because Colorado was – Nebraska was competitive with Colorado, and Nebraska might be the second worst team in FBS behind UCLA. <laughs> so I don't know how good Colorado is. And what a transition. Washington at UCLA is another matchup. Huskies, I think. I think we're all going to agree on this one. Yeah, I think Washington's Washington. All right, no Bruin uprising this week, huh? Mm-mm. All right, California at Arizona. That's an intriguing matchup because maybe Arizona's a little better than people thought initially, but I still think they're bad. I'm going to go with Cal. Yeah, I mean, Cal's defense has been really good. I think Cal's going to win. Yeah, I, I like Cal as well. Jeez, this is the agreement no, show. Welcome to the is. agreement show. <laughs> Welcome to where we all think the same. Amy picked Colorado, so there's a little bit I know, of a little variation. Yeah. Now the big one. Actually, I know you love ASU. That's why. Oh, I do. <laughs> How about Utah at Stanford? What do you think, Amy? I'm going to go with Stanford. Are you? Yeah. Why do you think so? Because last time I picked Utah. So. Okay, fair <laughs> I like that. Make it easy, Trent. No, I, I, oh, it's, Amy, it is on. hard to pick, though, without knowing if Bryce Love is in the mix. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, I think if he's in the mix, then I like Stanford. If he's not, or if he's not playing at 100%, then it's probably – I mean, it's close enough. I think it could go either way. I think it's going to be Utah. I don't think Stanford's as great as everybody thinks. They got really lucky to beat Oregon, and they got blown out by Notre Dame. I think this is a close game, but Utah wins. Trent, i got to agree with you. I think the Utes are going to win this. I just Quit, co- quit copying, Trent. I, right? Well, he's a millennial. I'm following him. Just because you want to pick the right games doesn't mean you should say the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, if you think about it, I just can't see this team at Utah getting off to an 0-3 start. I think they're too talented. But obviously, it's come down to this one game. They have to win it, or they are zero and three. I'm no math major. I'm no math major, but that's the way I see it. That was from our statistics class at the University of Utah. <laughs> I'm still learning, folks. We're still learning. Um, you know what time it is? What time is it? Amy, Amy just left me to say Dinner that by time. myself. <laughs> I don't, I don't do well with choreography, fellas. <laughs> Take it away, Tom Barberry. I'm Tom Barberry, and it's time for Utah by Five, where we catch up with the people who built the program we love. I had a chance to catch up with the voice of the Utes, Bill Riley. I got to ask you, Bill, I enjoy your tweets, and I'm sure a lot of fans do, <laughs> from the stadiums that you work at, and you say, this is my office for yeah. the day. Tell me what it's like to go to the office at a stadium well it's well I the my favorite I, I love all aspects of my job but I think the part that I love the most is being at the stadium on game day I mean you know how that is right it's one thing you know you sit at the desk or you're in the office or you're at a practice but when you're at the game you're you're where the excitement is and I like to get there early and set up my booth you get there early too right Dirk, Dirk is the <laughs> earliest print guy in the history of anything he's afraid that the game's going to start early exactly he wants to be the first guy there but no I like to get there early and I'm just one of these people that I just like to get everything set up and be nice and neat and just kind of then take it all in and just kind of take a deep breath and get your mind right and take it all in because on game days I'm usually talking for about eight hours so I like to get everything set I've got everything I'm all ready to go by then but then you just kind of take it in because you get to see the arena dead empty dead quiet and kind of two hours later three hours later you get to see it full, and then we're around long enough that we get to see it empty again right. after we wrap up post-game shows. So I, I just I like getting there early and just kind of getting the feel for everything on game day. What's your favorite stadium? Are you talking about for college football? Yeah, for college football. I know you've done pros too, but uh, just what? well, I wrote a piece up on our website, ESPN700Sports.com, of my favorite kind of ten stadiums that I've right. ever broadcast or covered games in, and Notre Dame's probably my favorite game day atmosphere and right. experience because. 
I've always said Notre Dame, and I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I'm one of like the few Catholics that don't like Notre Dame. <laughs> you know, it's like Mormons that are that don't like BYU. Exactly. But uh, I just. It, when you go to Notre Dame, and you've been, it's it's what you think college is. Oh, yeah. They've got the quad. They've got the ivy-covered buildings. You've got Touchdown Jesus. You've got the grotto, the marching band, the grass, the gray skies. It's just kind of college football, and it's a cool stadium. Right. And, you know, it's usually a big game because Notre Dame's playing. In the Pac-12, I love Rice Eccles. I do. Rice Eccles is fantastic. Um, I've liked, you know, I've, I've liked Washington's, though I'd like to be there on a sunny day. We're always there at night, right. or it's cold. <laughs> Or it's wet. That's pretty cool. I don't like the Coliseum so much, but I love the history of the Coliseum. Does that make right. sense? Because it's oh, kind of absolutely. old. And it's in a so-so neighborhood and a little run down, but the history of the Coliseum is so cool. Same thing with the Rose Bowl. Right, same thing. Well, what's the most rewarding thing for you to be the Utah play-by-play guy? I'm sure there's a million things that you you love about the job, but if you had to nail it down to one thing. Oh, I don't know. I, I think the, the best compliment I can get, and I, I get this from time to time, somebody will come up to me and say, I was listening to you in my car, or I was listening to you driving around, and you made me feel like I was at the game. That's cool. And that's that, to me, is one of the reasons why I got into the business, because I was one of those guys, when I was a kid, I'd drive around with my dad. He'd always had the game on the radio. Right. And I was lucky to grow up and listen to good play-by-play guys. But I always like that sense. A good play-by-play guy gives you the feel of the stadium. You can't be, you know, not everybody can be in, in, in Rice Eccles where there's only 46,000 seats. Right. Or can afford a ticket or whatever. So you're kind of that connection between the fans that can't be at the game and 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 the game itself. And so to me, that's kind of the fun part is being able to bring that excitement and game day experience and make people feel like they're there. You mentioned being in the car listening to games when you were little. Is that when you wanted to be a play-by-play guy? Talk about well, I, I love sports. I mean, I grew up playing sports. I wasn't a great athlete, but my dad was the one that got me that love. He was one of those guys because he grew up in a generation, our parents, you know, right. older. It was the radio first, and then TV became big, but he would always have the Royals game on on the radio or the Chiefs game on on the radio or the Kansas or the Missouri game on on the radio in Kansas City. Right. So we were running errands on Saturdays or going to soccer or baseball or whatever and that would be on and so then I'd get home at night and I'd ha- I was like I had that boom box next to my bed and I wasn't listening to music at night I was tuning the AM radio and listening to baseball games and basketball games because That's in the good. Midwest you can pick up a lot of signals so right. I'd listen to Jack Buck in St. Louis and Ernie Harwell in Detroit and the Kansas City broadcasters Fred and Denny and so that was kind of where my love of that I knew when I got to college at Kansas that I wanted to work in sports but I didn't know what. So I did internships in PR and athletics and did writing for the newspaper and ran the student radio station. And I kind of determined, as you know, I'm not going to make a lot of money right away in this business. <laughs> so if I'm not going to make a lot of money, what do I love doing the most? And it was the radio and the TV part of it. How in the world did you end up in Salt Lake City covering the Utes? Uh, well, I ended up in Salt Lake City because uh, the radio station I worked for in Jacksonville, Florida, got bought out and 12 of us lost our jobs because they didn't want to run a sports station I anymore. I know that. Yeah. And I luckily knew a consultant who was consulting in Jacksonville that was also consulting KSL Radio, a guy named Dennis Kelly. And they were looking at the time for somebody to do sports updates, evening talk show, uh, pre and post game for BYU, coaches show, things like that, because it's when Rubel made the move from right. his show to the play-by-play to full, uh, take Paul James's job. 
And so I'd never been to Salt Lake City in my life. I always thought if, if I came to the mountains, I'd move to Denver because right. I had friends in Denver, a good sports market. And I flew out here. I needed a job. And I loved it. And so um, started working at KSL and was there for three years. Had a great time. They were terrific to me. Bonneville was great. And then a guy named Stu Stanick, who was the general manager of the Clear Channel stations in town, who ran call radio at the time, right. who then became Hot Ticket 700. They were flipping to sports. And it was that same time Urban and the Utes were flying high. And right. So one week I was doing the Gary Croton Coaches Show. <laughs> And then the next week, I was doing the Urban Meyer Coaches Show in 2004, and I've been at the radio station 700, many names, now ESPN 700, and I'm in my 10th season doing play-by-play with the Utes. And you love it. I love it. All right. I want to thank Bill Riley for participating in our Utah by Five segment. It was good to catch up with him. Just a reminder, folks, the grid picks at DesiretNews.com if you want to match wits with us and see if you can pick the Pac-12 South a little better than us. They give away prizes, so it's worth it, and it's free. DesiretNews.com grid picks. Uh, We're going to wrap things up today, guys. Just a reminder that you can get the podcast at Apple Podcasts and Google Play and at DesiretNews.com. Guys, we're wrapping this up. Amy, any parting words? I like I can't wait to go get myself an Apple. (laughs) 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 No, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a great game. You're lucky you get to travel to see it. I just patience. Have patience, Ute fans. They're they're better than they've looked. We'll see you next time. Thanks again. <laughs>